0: You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded. We're joined here today by Jason Paul
1: of Wave Intel. Yeah, you're racking up followers quite a fast. Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been a, a really cool ride. I've only been on Twitter I think maybe 3 or 4 years when I started developing my data tools and uh, so I remember there was a big at the very beginning everyone started following me then there was a bit of a lull and and uh, because I think it's normal for people to want to get used to you and and you know figure out what you're all about so now it's been fantastic I've I've gone on a lot of podcasts I've uh, uh, done stuff for The Athletic Um, well I haven't done stuff for them but their their writers use some of my stuff and um, also been on TSN uh, six ninety in Montreal a couple of times. So yeah, it's been been fantastic.
0: Indeed, and and your uh, WaveIntel website is really good as well. You you really showcase stats from from an easy accessible point of view. So so be sure to follow Jason Paul at um, WaveIntel <laughs> in on on Twitter. Um, also, you're your greater answering questions, I realized that we met on on the Dylan Warren's uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, and I think you know it, it beneficial. It, it benefits everyone to have an E. not everyone are mathematicians, so you need that kind of easy accessibility to to these uh, to the stats in order for for really comprehend them uh, and not just go like many others do. Oh, this analytics crap, I don't know about
1: that. Yeah, yeah, for sure and and i like being in that little in in between the the hardcore hockey fan and the analytics community i, I kind of take pride in trying to stay in the middle there and not get too crazy into the numbers and also like link things back to real numbers link things back to the goals and the assists not you know you get those are still important right so from one
0: of my earlier podcasts an interview with uh, with the player he he was a little he's told me that he wasn't that used to analytics and he didn't really trust it until it was brought into the coach and the coach said you know you have, over, over a 60 minute game you played 20 minutes you had the the uh, puck on your stick 7 seconds we're not paying you to do that and that's when he started yeah. to get it like but you need <laughs> really need to formulate it into something accessible and i think your website really does that uh, especially with with every tweet you send out and, and discuss, you have that main, this is what you need to look for, this is what it means. And I think that brings a lot to the discussion.
1: Thanks. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, we're here though to to I mean, like we have to start with it. It's like beating a dead horse. Yeah. <laughs> but man, <laughs> I went on Twitter last night and I said, I'm really, really happy that that Montreal didn't get in on the pair like Dubois um sweepstakes, or, or they were part of it, but they didn't win it um and and i'm i'm still standing by that uh, i'm not sure i mean this is a sort of patch ready trade that we have to evaluate in a couple of years time but but what is your take on that trade
1: when i saw it i was really surprised actually i mean cuz you know 40 50 goal scorers don't grow on trees um, but obviously there's stuff behind the scenes that we don't understand um, but also i think it really shows the value of a center right and and how valuable when you translate how valuable that like obviously there's a lot of value in that trade for him because he's a center um on the analytics side i thought uh i thought it was interesting that the mainstream media were saying this guy's a two-way center He's you know that kind of stuff but the actual analytics don't say that i don't know if you looked into that at all i did tweet I trust it out you for, uh, for doing that <laughs> yeah yeah i did tweet it. it's not to say he's not a a great two-way uh center and he's going to be that but he hasn't. It wasn't really deployed that way um, last year. I'm just looking at last year's stats, and um, so it's hard to say is he really a two-way center if he's not taking those dirty minutes, you know, like a guy like the Noah is uh, doing. He's not taking those draws uh, at a high rate in his defensive zone, and he's not being deployed. And he's being deployed more offensively, clearly, right? And he's also not matching up against the other team's elite players at the rate that you would expect you know a Patrice Bergeron or a, a Deneau to do. So he hasn't done that doesn't mean he's not but the 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 body of work's not there to evaluate that.
0: It's it's interesting um in a way we're, we're looking at that draft and we have Lineer, we have pierre lac Dubois that has been, you know, like they've traded places more or less right now and and then obviously we have Puljujarvi at number 4 and it's it's a lot of discussion about that draft and for, for obvious reason who do you think like first now is the winner in this
1: max for sure and somebody I saw somebody have have uh, Twitter versus really good and somebody tweeted that very quickly and when Max Domi was traded that was something and I also tweeted out and, and sh- showed through the data as well a bit which is how important Max Domi was to the Habs power play even though the power play wasn't very good so you <laughs> could take it you could take it either way but the fact was he had huge minutes his first assist rate on the power play was fantastic in the league. So, yeah, he should be matching up with Line a and it should be really good. Who wins the trade? That flat out question is I, I don't know. Like, you, Patrick Line, those players don't <laughs> grow on trees, right? Don't you remember Ovechkin? There was a time when Ovechkin, you know, he was losing out in the first round of the playoffs and the media would say, oh, maybe we should get rid of this guy. And, like, are you crazy? Of course, you don't get rid of a guy like that. Especially you work with when them. you
0: have Backstrom delivering the the passes. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, like, I, I, I remember Line and Line has always been a favorite of mine. And, and I remember those playoffs in Liga where, I mean, like, it, it was incredible to watch him. Uh, he would have scored on anything. You could give him the puck wherever on the ice and he would have put it in the net. And we're not going to beat the dead horse on, on this trade. I'm just happy mm. that... The playoffs showed the the potential in in the centers that Montreal had, and then with the emergence of Evans, I think, Bergman just called to check, and when they said we want Romanov or Suzuki, he just hung up.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, the timing is brutal. Like Eighteen months ago, they would have been all over. Yeah. for this, they would have been all over trying to get this trade, and they probably would have traded maybe not Kakhniemi at that time, but uh, Suzuki for sure. They would have traded him. Yeah. Thank, so, thank goodness. Thank goodness that did not happen. I, you know me. I'm a huge Suzuki fan. This kid is. I mean, now you have TSN and and the broadcasters saying this guy looks like Bergeron, and, and so now when the mainstreams saying that, uh, you don't trade a guy like that. Uh, and, well, and so I, many le- <laughs> on so many levels. I mean, I I don't want to get too too deep into this, but I think Montreal and Bergeron they're following a really good kind of theory for the team, which is it has to be a bit of defense here. It has to be a defensive structure sharing the load so that you don't have guys scoring like that's actually probably not a good thing to have a 110 point player or, or a 50 goal scorer. Cause you're going to pay him 11 million, $12 million. I much prefer Kakinemi to be like a Barkov style. 60, 70 points, but just an absolute beast and, yeah. and a, and a 200 foot player. I way prefer that. And
0: than and especially, a, especially as we have seen, and we can move on into that subject a little bit, the, the start of the season, where it's tough for top-heavy teams to match up against a team that has four lines. Yeah.
1: Mark,
0: you, it, you, okay. And, and we have seen that with Claude Julian. He just keeps rolling. Yeah. It, it's it, it, okay they put this guy out it doesn't matter because my line is so good that I have out there anyway so we don't have to match it yeah, there,
1: there was I was trying to find this somewhere I read something somewhere many years ago and it was about hockey it was about the theory that it is much better to have you know uh, a full lineup of six out of ten players rather than having a top heavy and it's just simple math I mean if you're if you're fourth line is ten percent better than the other team's fourth line. you're gonna it's going to impact the game just as much as your top guy being five percent better than their other top guy, you know? yeah,
0: and especially when it's ten percent on the fourth line,
1: yeah, exactly. That's where the big
0: difference comes out. is it comes up further down the lineup. And then obviously, as we saw with with Vancouver and when Elias Petterson struggles, it's only one line that is out there. It's not you don't have those two that you can roll. Two two times, and we saw it with the Edmonton series as well. And it's 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 really really interesting. And no one would have predicted this start with <laughs> with six games ab- uh, away, and and have ha- not having lost in re- relegation yet.
1: Yeah, they uh, they could easily be six and all, right?
0: Yeah, and easily. still they're still there on top of the table.
1: Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. And and I think it's even more important in such a short season where you can't start slow and you
1: I was a bit worried that um about the starts for some players, right? Like including Edmondson um, and even in and Kakanyemi. And, and I think the, the two things having the depth has the depth and the skill of the depth um, has made them win these games. But now you can just see everyone's having fun. There's no it doesn't look like there's a lot of pressure on one player or one line. And that just makes it easier for everyone. So everyone's looser and there's less stress. And then when you win like this and you get seven goals and five goals, it's it's it just makes everyone feel better. The start is very important in such a short season.
0: Montreal is not spoiled with points on the Western Road trips. And that has been one of the things that many of us has pointed to, you know, this is could be dangerous with the with the Canadian division. But having looked, what what are your first impressions, really, when you look at each team here that they play? They play against Toronto, so we can start with that one.
1: Yeah, I think there was a little bit of an evolution here, right? Like, I I thought they played very well against Toronto, uh, and they should have won that that one game they lost, right? Um, And I thought that they played maybe even better in... uh, from a certain aspect in, in Edmonton, I really liked, and this is the way I felt about Sherrod and Weber in that series. I think you get as an athlete, the hockey player, you get so jacked up to play against the best players. And it was clear to me that those guys were so focused in their, in their defensive zone and they played fantastic. They were getting it out. And I remember Sherrod just looked like a rock and he, it's not that they were doing stuff like Yossi would do, but they were getting it out of the zone successful zone exits all the time. That's what I found. And then you fast forward to the Vancouver game, or Vancouver series. And I think the, those, this first and second game against Vancouver, they really, those were their worst games. I, I thought, and I, and that pairing, I thought struggled at many points of those first two games and they were maybe just let off the gas a little bit and they weren't getting it out as with authority as they were against the Oilers. So when it comes to that part of the game that I was watching, that's how I felt. I and mean, I think the best game was uh, last night.
0: Indeed, and especially considering the fact that Vancouver came back to two-two and they had the momentum, they had everything going for them, and then some random things happened. There was what I thought was it would be an offside call as well, and but but it wasn't. And everyone has explained it to me, so I'm grateful to learn at my age still. But but <laughs> but. Uh, Gallagher scored that 3-2 goal and then obviously that challenge because when you look at it from from another aspect uh, Julian could have challenged Elias Pettersson's goal as well for a high stick but he chose not to and I think that was confident coaching versus not confident coaching Uh, Julian was like we can handle this it's not a problem don't worry about it and even when it got to 2-2, two, two, he, he wasn't that worried about it. But when yeah. when Montreal took the lead again, obviously Vancouver's coach went ballistic and, and was like, we need, we need to, to cancel this goal. And in the end, because Vancouver was still playing very good hockey at that moment, it was just a random counterattack. And I think he would have been better not challenging that goal.
1: I agree, yeah. And it was a big mistake.
0: It turned out to be a big mistake, obviously, and 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 it's been very very interesting to follow this this series. And these Canadian teams will hate each other
1: <laughs> after this season. I think it's this is fantastic. I love this format, and as a as some as an analyst like you, uh, from a statistics point of view as well, it's it is it's almost like a controlled uh, experiment, right? You hear that a lot in. in uh, in epidemiologists with, uh, with epidemiologist and uh, and and stats and so you can take three games and they're on the road too right so you're not it's not as if it's a home at home either which is different because you deploy your players differently so this is three games in a row where Vancouver had home ice advantage and we get to see exactly the same thing every game and how they adjust so I I absolutely loved it so and you can see, I don't know if you want to get into Joel Edmondson right now, but his progression is is kept getting better.
0: It's interesting that you bring up Joel Edmondson because we met on on Dylan War's podcast, the the Habs Statistician podcast, and and we were discussing that. And you're going to hear a clip here from from uh, Jason Paul here um, from that podcast.
1: I think this is a a uh, scouting kind of gem here. Like obviously, they think this guy's got something. And there's, there's business, there's intel there, the fact that a lot of people are saying that he just didn't fit in the system in Carolina and that he fit in the system in St. Louis and maybe they saw what they liked there. Uh, also, maybe he he's still kind of young and not that he's going to get necessarily better, but that I think the bigger defensemen are starting to change a little bit now. I think they're catching up. I've tweeted this quite a few times now. It's like hockey is an ebb and flow thing. It's evolving, so the smaller, younger players or the smaller players came in and started dominating in a certain way. And I think these bigger defensemen are starting to adjust their game. And I don't mean uh, they're old and then they adjust. I mean, when they come up the ranks as young players, they are playing against these fast players now. So I think they're trying to adjust. Is Joel Edmondson part of that? I'm not quite sure. I looked at a lot of tape of him too. And I'm, I'm questioning his, um, you know, his defensive ability, but, I think they think they can do this, the same thing they did with Sherratt, which is bring his risk, try to bring his risky plays down to zero and get another sharat style player. Can they do that is the question.
0: You, you mentioned his evolve, evolvement or how he's evolved as a player during these first six games, especially in this system that that is new to him, but reminds him a little bit about the system that was played in, in St. Louis. Um, What is your takeaway now that you can more or less say told you so? Uh,
1: I think Julian, I think this is exactly the kind of player that the organization likes. They love Weber, right? So let's get as many kind of Weber style players, which is playing well in their own end. Uh, And you can define well differently, right? Especially with the analytics. So I think that they're using him exactly how I thought that they might try to use him, which is, defensively and they also which means deploying in the defensive zone and i'm looking at his stats right now and i can see and one of my kids is trying to come in my office here uh i can see that he's getting lots of defensive zone faceoffs, lots of defensive zone starts but because they're away they don't really have too much control over that so um he's also getting some decent offensive zone starts but what i was looking for mostly is 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 he pinching uh too much maybe. Is he carrying the puck too much? Is he deferring more to Petrie? And I, maybe maybe I'm uh, looking at it too closely, but I think the, that's exactly what's happening. His first game was a bit of a bomb. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> but he was trying a bit too much, and he was doing this crazy cross ice pass that was in the air at one point. He pinched a few times, which led to odd man rushes the other way. And as you can see in the past three or four games, have you seen him rush the puck up? I haven't seen him rush the puck once. Have you seen him pinch? Yes. I saw him last night do some really nice pinches, actually. But he's not really going deep, and he's not trying anything funny, long passes. His passes, I'm super surprised at how quick he's moving the puck and how creative he actually is with really short passes. So I'm actually shocked at how good he's managed his game. And from a coach's standpoint, I think he's doing probably what they're telling him, which is do not defer to Petrie and don't skate the puck up the ice. And he hasn't done that.
0: You, me- you mentioned on the same podcast a little bit that Joel Edmondson was really good the first 15 seconds more or less in in, in a defensive zone face off situation. And do yeah. you do you still see that or or and do you think that Julian has Really looked into that as well, and and has that help with the analytics guy in Montreal to to showcase how to de- deploy and um, to deploy Edmonton.
1: Probably, I think so. I think uh, do they use the same analytics that we do, which is uh, open to the public? Probably not, and they probably do it more of a of a, like game by game. They might look at some tape against really good teams, this is what I would do as a coach and say, let's see how he does against the the St. Louis Blues or, or uh, Edmonton. And they probably just are just rating that game. How many times did he get it out? How many times? And so I think they use analytics in a different way that this is what I think. Um, So, yeah, I think that's exactly what they see from him. Um, And that kind of player does not necessarily wash out well with the analytics that's available publicly. Uh, I look at it right now and his analytics are below him and Petrie together. Um, Their shot metrics are below 50, 50, right? So it means the other team is carrying, carrying the play a bit. That's what the data shows, but um, they're getting a little bit more difficult um, ice time than Romanov and Kulak. And they're definitely getting the defensive zone starts more than Romanov and Kulak, for example, so they're taking that that brunt a bit. So yeah, I, I'm. I see he's clearing the puck fairly nicely. Is, is everything perfect? No, but I mean, Montreal fans sometimes expect too much. Like, what do you expect? Won't like if you look at tape tape of uh, Petrangelo or these guys, they don't do it perfectly every time either, right? So.
0: I mean, like, it, it was Niklas Lidstrom. he did everything perfect. That's what I've heard.
1: At he least. did, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> There's only one of him, though. Uh, yeah. yeah. Funny that you mentioned um, Kulak and, and Romanov, but uh, could Julian utilize Kulak in a bigger role with, with Romanov, maybe?
1: I can say that I'm a little bit surprised at how well Kulak's playing in that limited role. He, it's like he's thriving in this role with Romanov. Um, maybe he deferred too much with Petrie when he was with Petrie, and he kind of feels a responsibility. I don't know. He, I think the eye test part looks really good, and his numbers are shaking out like they normally do, which is really, really good. Um,
0: and he had a saucer pass last night to Suzuki. That was
1: incredible. That was fantastic. And we Yeah, we need to talk about that, though, yeah. because um, I think the coaching staff wants all their defensemen to play like Weber which is low risk, um, you know, pinching, keep it to a minimum, rushing, keep it to a minimum, which is funny because most fans want, they're like, "Ah, I see how Krug plays and I see how the Yossi plays. And I want this kind of player. And getting back to my point where we talked about Edmondson and the the evolution of hockey, I think five or six years ago, that's what everybody wanted to see. They wanted to see the defenseman rush up the ice and it, and it, teams were doing that a lot and they were allowing all their defensemen to do it. And now I think the game is adjusted. I think teams have adjusted against that and you don't necessarily want your fifth and sixth pairing to be rushing it up the ice anymore. Cause I think the other teams are just really victimizing defensemen when they don't do it well. And so the, the play last night that Kulak did, I love it because last year he did that quite a few times as well. He did that exact same thing. And me as an analyst, I crit—I was critical of that because it resulted in nothing except for odd man rushes the back way. When the defenseman takes it down the side of the ice and then throws it in front of the net, a coach, and I've played with coaches that uh, um, that say the same thing, that is a super high risk thing to do because you have put yourself in the corner and you're putting the puck back. It's like a drop pass almost, right? Yeah. And if it does not go well, It never usually ends well the other way. And Kulak got caught many, many times last year like that. He would do that exact same play, and it didn't result in sustained pressure in the D zone. And it didn't result in a goal like it did last night. So last night, it resulted in a goal, which is fantastic. But I I have my little alarm bell up saying, you can't do that all the time necessarily. And, And do you want Kulak doing that all the time? I don't know.
0: But on the other hand, you mentioned, and this is this is the fun bit with the pairing in a way. You you, you mentioned um, Weber and Chauvel, and you met, mentioned Edmondson and, and, and Petri. Uh, they have been very very stable in a lot of yeah. ways. But it seems like they are allowing the Tsar and 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 since Gillian is going to listen to this, I better be sure to say Romanov. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, they allow him the leeway to pinch. Because he pinches a lot and it's not always successful, but he gets away with it, and and he seems to. When we see defenders coming into Montreal, they've been as you say. You we want mold you after Weber, but they're not doing that to Romanov. They, they, they no, are I, giving him. He is his own kind of player, and we're gonna let you play that way.
1: Yeah, but don't you think it's a it's a luxury. Because of their depth and because they're winning. Do you think do you think this if they were playing like they did last year? There's two end results. I think uh Romanov could be the god because he's able to do this kind of stuff, or he's going to be the GOAT because he's making errors and it's a zero-zero game or a one-one game. I don't know. I, I think there's a there's a fantastic luxury right now for both Romanov. And Evans too. Well, we should talk about Evans before we're done this podcast.
0: Yeah, of course we we will, and we have to mention the 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 art. If you haven't read Jared Brooks' article about what Joel Bouchard said about n- n- Evans, you really need to. Uh, so so do that uh, while you're listening to us now, <laughs> because we're going to talk a little bit more about the czar. But but because obviously I have to. Uh, but if you look at it also, uh, and I've let, recognized this from from his sescop days that sometimes he takes that serious amount of depth in in the in the neutral zone to cover for kulak and to cover for others that are are pinching up and 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 everything it's not just romanov romanov pinching it's also the fact that he is taking that depth almost like a, a Libro in soccer or or something like that to to yeah I'm gonna to react to anything that you can throw at me right now, so, so do your thing up there and, and I'll cover for you. And it also shows partly the fact that we they haven't received a lot of um, credit for it, but Seska has done some good job with with, with Romanov as well. It's, it's not just like, okay, they kept him out of the lineup, blah, 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 blah. It's also the fact that he has developed under Nikitin's tutelage and and obviously since with his granddad's help as well, but he, even I, that was very very high on Romanov <laughs> was didn't think he would play this well.
1: Yeah, me neither. And I, I had probably different expectations than you did. And uh, I think the speed and and the physical, you know, he's 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 a pro, right? And Kulak even looks bigger and stronger. So, if that's the the sixth or the fifth, sixth pairing, fifth, sixth defenseman, that I mean, they are looking very, very good. You could easily say that on 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 most teams that that could conceivably be the the third, fourth, right? Indeed, indeed, it, it could be.
0: Uh, so, and I think really that brings us into to we we touched on the subject a little bit, but. They really roll four lines it's it's incredible how they really go through the motions and the luxury is as, as we've mentioned before on this podcast that you have the taxi squad with with really good players that are bought into the system you have um the, the set pieces that you already had and then obviously you had that surprising guy that no one really thought would make it in the long run and jake evans has been amazing
1: yeah, I, I I agree with the cat with with an asterisk, because uh, I I don't know, like it's so easy to be positive because they've done so well uh, in the standings and that kind of stuff. So I'll I'll put my critical hat on a little bit here. Um, I when I, what I'm seeing on the ice, I I really like. Like he is way better than I thought, and he seems really comfortable. Like this last game, uh, some of the passes he's made, the quick shots he's made, like I'm really surprised, and I really want. The Habs to keep going with him, to so that he becomes better and he learns and he'll he'll be better on the faceoffs and all that kind of stuff. But the asterisks I have are the, the little bit of a red flag is that he's not wa- analytically he's not washing out very well as a fourth line center. Um, I mean, typically you want your fourth line center to take the defensive draws and to get a little ugly and, and to make sure there's no mistakes on the ice and to be solid defensively. And the numbers are shaken out not fantastic because he had a couple really bad games. I thought I think I think the first game and the first game wasn't very great, and maybe the first one in Edmonton. I don't I don't remember which ones, but there were two that were pretty. He really struggled um, with the faceoffs and getting out of his end. And I, I, when I watch the game, I see this again, and it doesn't really again. It goes to the depth, like you said, the players covering for him. He's playing with the bets, so they're really helping out. So you don't, it doesn't really, the damage control is fantastic, but he is making a couple plays in his own end that that you wouldn't want from your Stanley Cup fourth line center, if if that's the way I can put it. Of course, the kid's got a lot of way to go, and I, I think he's going to get there. But if they start the playoffs with him at fourth C, I would, the way it is right now, I would be raising the red flag a little bit.
0: You mentioned he he plays sheltered a little bit. uh He plays with the veterans. Obviously, they're... they're Few better uh, forwards to to play with uh, defensively in this regard than than Arthur Lackonin and Paul Byron.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, he wasn't he 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 sheltered in the sense of his line mates because he's getting really high quality line mates. But he's what I do like is is Julian hasn't sheltered him in his deployment. He's getting the defensive zone starts, and because they were on the road all this time, the coaches were no doubt picking on him, right? So they were trying to get the best players out against him. So we might—he survived that. The team survived that, and now they're going to come home, and he's going to get better, probably a little bit easier matchups. And so you might see his evolution really even kick up in high gear, even even more.
0: You have a couple of top heavy teams that are Toronto, Winnipeg, um, Vancouver, that, that are really standing uh, and yeah, that are standing out on on where where we are in that regard. And then you obviously have Calgary that is more of a Montreal kind of of team. And you obviously as well have Ottawa that is a little bit like Calgary a couple of years ago that are also developing for the future and maybe taking the same kind of approach to build a team with depth rather than a top line that is supposed to carry you. How well can Evans do against, you know, when they... You say he gets easier because it's at home, but it might also be tougher because the teams are different.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, they had this massive test on the road and now they have a different test, as you would say. And historically, recently, they don't do well against those kinds of teams, right? They don't do well against, they didn't do well against New Jersey last year and the year before. I forget I, I forget what other team it was, too, that was a little bit lower. But yeah, they just seem to let off a little bit and maybe it's their team identity that focuses on the high skill players and then, you know, see what they can get after that. So I'm interested to see how they play here. And I, if I had, if I was a betting man, I would say that they won't be as successful in this next set of games because of that very reason.
0: And bringing it forward to, to Thursday's game, it's going to be very, very weird to not have the fans in the stands with the opening ceremony that is traditionally something that every fan wants to be part of and, and especially welcoming the new players into the team.
1: Yeah, I wonder what they're going to do. But Montreal is great at that, right? So I hope well, they bring do out the something. flames
0: and, you know, like <laughs> it's against the flames. So there has to be some fire involved. And
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's one thing, I like one national anthem before every game. I, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, you should cover the NHL. Yeah, um, we
0: don't even play the anthem anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you see... Um, oh, I, I didn't know that. Did you? But did you see the Raptors? Uh, I don't know if you watch basketball. Watched, I watched did. the NCAA. I don't watch the end Okay, but they did this really cool opening thing for their playoffs where they had videos of their family introducing the players. I hope Montreal, maybe not that, is that might not be appropriate right now, but hopefully they do something interesting. it would be good.
0: What has shown in the analytics department when you compare Josh Anderson to his time with Columbus Blue Jackets to what you've seen in those limited and, and small sample size that he has with Montreal?
1: I haven't really... Uh thought about that (laughs) looked up the uh, no i can look it up but i I haven't looked at it yet because funnily enough there's so many great things going on with the team that i that's one of the ones that i've only been doing the eye test with uh josh anderson but um he you know he's used a little bit differently i think because um one of the things i said about him when he got traded here was he was used very defensively he was deployed defensively there in columbus which was fantastic he was on for a lot of the the, um, when they were leading, one minute left in the game, kind of thing. Big body, strong on the puck, right, fast, chase down the pucks. And because Montreal's so deep, it's kind of interesting that they they don't really have to do that. They have so many great players, and def- and on the PK as well. I thought that they would put Anderson on the PK. Um, he didn't play a ton of PK minutes in Columbus, but in the playoffs, I was watching, going back to watch some clips uh, against Tampa. They used him quite a bit. And and I thought he was very very good. Again, big body, really good stick. Mm. And I've always been critical recently of Montreal's penalty kill. So I'm a bit surprised that they didn't use him there. But it is interesting that Julian <clears throat> Julian's using a ton of players on the penalty kill. I don't is know that if you why you're
0: that. critical of it, or is it because you don't get that kind of chemistry with the penalty kill players?
1: I'm critical of the fact that they're just not. They haven't been good. And and over the past couple of years on the penalty kill this year, they're like, they're actually not good on the penalty kill either this year, but everyone's so excited that they score so many shorthanded goals that, you know, the analysts, the mainstream analysts are saying that the penalty kills great. They, you know, look at this. Um, and, and, but Julian, if you listen to some of his uh, post games, he's mentioned that he's, they got work to do on the penalty kill. still, and it's very true. So their actual underlying numbers on the penalty kill, the suppression like the the shot suppressions are not good it's like near the bottom of the league
0: yeah we saw i call it the frelunda move because i've seen it so many times with ryan lash passing into the high danger area to to Joel lundqvist for for a goal uh but that's essentially what vancouver did as well and obviously with i forgot who was behind the net but it was Horvat to score the goals and yeah we saw that Julian adjusted and we realized it was really interesting to see when, when Lekkonen lost that position to cover that triangle. But on the other hand, as we saw last night as well, um, when you cover Horvat in this case, that close, it opens up for Elias Patterson and he got a ringer off from, 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 from the post. And he had another shot that was very good as well. So you, it's, it's choose your poison a little bit at that point, but, what can Montreal do to improve their penalty kill? If you have the chance to to offer them some free advice,
1: well, yeah. If if I was, uh, it wouldn't be wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be well received. I don't think it wouldn't be well received in the uh, at least on Twitter universe for sure. But I don't. I'm not a huge fan of of uh, Deneau and Lekkinen on a penalty kill. I just I, I respect those two players as such strong five on five players, but. I just don't, I think that they could do, they should switch it up and maybe even take both those guys off. At least, Deneau, take him off and allow his line to come on right after the penalty kill. Because I've looked into the data and it shows that that line absolutely destroys inferior competition. So they're matched up against the team's best lines and they do well against them, but they, they actually destroy inferior competition they never get a chance to, to play against not never but they don't get as much of a chance to play against that, that kind of competition so after a power the other team's power play when they use all their best players who's coming out on the next shift right it's I the third it or fourth line <laughs> yeah it's me and you and you, you put Dano's line out after that you you're you're going to get regain the momentum so but they normally don't put Deneau's line out because he's been penalty killing I shouldn't say they don't normally but They should have him fresh and ready for after the penalty kill, in my opinion. So Bergeron, just just any Habs fans listening to this podcast, that's the evolution of Bergeron Bergeron as well. When he first came in the league, defensive deployment, played a lot of penalty kill, and then he just became too good, too valuable in other situations that they got him out of there. And you could definitely say that about Dano. He's just so valuable five on five. I'd much rather see. Two more minutes, five on five of him than two minutes on the penalty kill.
0: So Dano against Anderson?
1: Yeah, or I mean, I'm a massive fan of Suzuki. Uh, I think he's a great penalty killer. But the, the way the data washes out, and again, it's only publicly available data, so you know, take it for what you want. But Armia has been consistently one of the best penalty killers in the NHL, not just on the team. And um, Byron has been a very strong penalty killer for them. So those should be your primary penalty killers. I know n- they're not centers, but uh, so that, that's what I think. I think it's a personnel thing. And I think what I like, what I'm seeing this year is that they're very aggressive. So keep being aggressive. Evans looks like a, a beauty uh, penalty killer. And yeah, keep being aggressive. Take those two guys off.
0: I'm gonna toss a question that I put in the in, in the uh, Eyes on the prize chat last night, and, and it's just, my eye test so i might be really really wrong here uh never of course i am <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm right once in a blue moon ask uh, mrs seb over there but <laughs> but if you if you consider it it, it seems to me that Deno is being taken off the the, the face off by the refs quite a lot and it already gives you that someone else on that line takes the the, the face off in yeah. some ways, do you really need him for the defensive zone face-off on a penalty kill? Then,
1: yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, the problem is they don't really have. Yeah, so I haven't accounted that, and if you're seeing that, that's that's very interesting. Um, but I think that I do think the draw is important. So that's probably the struggle that that they would have. The coaching staff. Why would you take the best one of the best face-off guys in the league? Off of a penalty kill, it does seem ridiculous, I mean,
0: like and a, that's, a, if you win the face off you you kill at least twenty seconds of the power play,
1: yeah, yeah, so so you know, what I'm saying is probably not realistic.
0: We'll give it half a year, and Evans is there to win all those face offs,
1: yeah, 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 for sure. but the point being that if you're if the best face off guy is winning the draws, his numbers are still not washing out well. I think that that's the point, right, and that's what analytics people would tell you. They'd say, okay, so he wins the draws, but why are his numbers not coming out as well as someone like Armia or, uh, or, or some of these other players across the league?
0: Very, very interesting. Uh, we're here with uh, Jason Paul of Wave Intel. Please follow him on, on Twitter so you can argue with his stats. And, and yeah. <laughs> Mostly, <laughs> I, I don't argue the stats because uh, I'm not the kind of person that is is really into it but I really like your, your website for the easy accessible and, and the, the how you explain everything for someone that isn't a nerd. Uh, something that I know coaches has mentioned to me in, in many different ways that the big problem for for coaches is to get old school players to understand the, the data. Um, do you feel a little bit like that on the tutors as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I do. And uh, and uh this is an inter- interesting topic on its own, which is I I've been on Twitter for quite a while. I I would say 70% of my followers are Habs fans, but I have quite a few followers across the league. And I would say the fewest I the fewest questions I get are from Habs fans. They're more I get more questions and more openness and um it, from other markets like Vegas uh and I was thinking to myself, um, the Predators, Nashville, and I was thinking, why? Why is this? Is it because these are new teams, and they're maybe their fans are you know new, and they're they're okay with asking? Um, but also New Jersey and the Islanders, some of these older teams, fans base come and ask the questions as well. So I just find maybe we have a bit too much pride in in the, in the Montreal sphere, and uh, instead of you know maybe too embarrassed, people are too embarrassed to ask questions, but. I, I want to be open, and I and I want people to ask questions. And we're both here, we're all here trying to figure it out. There's no right or wrong answer. This is just numbers that can maybe help the eye test and figure things out. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just just exploring, exploring and, the space.
0: And, and as as a teacher, I have to say, you, you need to learn a new thing every day. So go in yeah. there, search for for the data, ask the questions, make sure you understand it. Ask another question if you don't. And, and follow that up and, and create your own thought process and and build your own argument strong rather than just, you know, I've, I've been watching this for 25 years and I know everything. Yeah, we all know everything that we've done for 25 years, but we can always improve. And exactly you look at it when one of my favorite stories is that when everyone was uh, beating up on Boris Becker and this shows how old I am <laughs> uh, for his footwork, he actually started taking ballet lessons to improve that. Little extra percentage, and and get that footwork working. He's obviously had problems problems with his footwork after that in uh, different areas of his life. But but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. You need to learn, you need to understand, and you need to build your thesis with with questions and understanding the questions. Another another thing is obviously the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You get the answer forty two, but you don't know
1: which question is asked already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and it, it is creep. The this kind of information is starting to creep in the mainstream. So you're seeing it on the the the, the broadcasts. People are starting to talk about uh, expected goals and this kind of stuff. So I think it's great. It's it's going to come. So just like plus minus came in, and people were asking questions about that when that stuff came in in the '70s or the '80s, whatever it was. So yeah, ask the questions. We'll figure it out together.
0: Um, we were all laughing a little bit last night when they were saying that Vancouver was obviously leading in hits not, not considering the fact that when you hit someone you don't have the puck <laughs> as exactly. Someone, as exactly someone said, the, the yeah. only one that hit players when you had the puck was Peter Forsberg and he's not playing anymore
1: so <laughs> yeah exactly
0: <laughs> so, so, so you have that thing that you need to, to get into understanding a few different things but start easy build it up and and obviously uh jason is is one of the best guys to answer questions for you because he's patient with you like he's patient with me make sure to to follow jason as i said go into his uh, website you want to you want to expand on the website again
1: yeah it's uh waveintel.org and uh simple software stuff where you can it's all free you can click on it put players names in put teams names in and, and the charts will spit out for you you can, there's a button to generate the image and you can share it on Twitter. With your Thank you, Jason. It's
0: been a pleasure.